Hello, my friends, and welcome back to another episode of The Informed Catholic. My name is Ned Jabbar, and this is going to be episode 201 of The Informed Catholic. Episode 201 of The Informed Catholic. So uh, before we begin, please subscribe and share to my podcast. It would be a great help uh, to me. And it would let me know that people are listening and it would encourage me to, um, you know, keep doing this podcast. And it would also let the podcast platforms know that people do like and enjoy this podcast. So now that we've gone past that, um, today I have two articles and they're going to be about socialism. Don't worry, I'm going to try to do the uh, podcast on Advent as much as I can. Um Unfortunately, now I'm back to work <laughs> and, uh, you know, that's going to be difficult, but I will do the best I can to keep up with the Advent season. Uh, so this is going to be two articles about socialism and one is going to be, you know, one of them is going to be about Karl Marx and a book that I listened to on Audible called The Devil and Karl Marx. So uh, let's begin with a prayer and we'll go into the scripture passage. In the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. Lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom, the power, and the glory now and forever. Amen. Hail Mary, full of grace. The Lord is with thee. Blessed art thou among women, and blessed is the fruit of thy womb, Jesus. Holy Mary, Mother of God, pray for us sinners, now at the hour of our death. Amen. Queen of the Rosary, pray for us. St. Joseph, guardian of the church and terror of demons, pray for us. St. Thomas More, pray for us. And St. Michael the Archangel, defend us from evil and pray for us. In the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Amen. All right, so the passage I'm going to read from uh, is going to be Luke, uh, the Gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ, according to St. Luke, chapter 8. And it's going to be from 26 to 30, I'm sorry, 39. Okay, let's begin. In the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Jesus heals the Gerasene demoniac. Then they arrived at the country of the Gadassines, which is opposite of Galilee. And as he stepped out on the land, there met him a man from the city who had demons. For a long time he had worn no clothes, and he lived not in a house, but among the tombs. When he saw Jesus, he cried out and fell down before him and said with a loud voice, What have you to do with me, Jesus, Son of the Most High God? I beseech you, do not torment me. For he had commanded the unclean spirits to come out of the man. For many a time it had seized him. He was kept under guard and bound with chains and fetters. But he broke the bonds and was driven by the demon into the desert. Jesus then asked him, What is your name? 
And he said, Legion, for many demons had entered him. And they begged him not to command them to depart into the abyss. Now a large herd of swine was feeding there on the hillside, and they begged him to let them enter these. So he gave them leave. Then the demons came out of the man and entered into the swine, and the herd rushed down the steep bank into the lake and were drowned. When the herdsmen saw what had happened, they fled and told it, told it in the city and in the country. Then people went out to see what had happened, and they came to Jesus and found the man from whom the demons had gone, sitting at the feet of Jesus, clothed and in his right mind. And they were afraid. And those who had seen it told them how who had been possessed with demons was healed. Then all the people of the surrounding country of the Gerasenes asked him to depart from them, for they were seized with great fear. So he got into the boat and returned. The man whom the demons had gone and be- had, had, had gone, begged that he might be with him. But he sent him away, saying, Return to your home and declare how much God has done for you. And he went away, proclaiming throughout the whole city how much Jesus had done for him. The gospel of the Lord. Praise to you, Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. All right, so this here is from the Federalist. It's by Casey uh, Chalk. I hope I'm pronouncing the name correctly. I'm terrible with names. And it's um, Karl Marx's shameful life uh, repudiates his evil ideology. The man who pretended to speak for the oppressed participated in oppression of the poor and his own fa- and his own family it's yet another repudi- repudiation of his work on its anniversary this month marks the anniversary of the first congress of the communist league in london in 1847 when karl marx and frederick engels were commissioned to write the Communist Manifesto, although much scholarly output has cataloged the many problems with the Marxist political and economic ideology as outlined in that seminal work, often overlooked in uh, repudiations of Marxism, Marxism and has been the actual person of Karl Marx. Indeed, when considering historical figures responsible for great influential movements, it's worth considering if, this, if those persons' personally, personal lives substantiate or undermine their ideology. As Aristotle noted, men start revolutionary changes for reasons connected with their private lives. In Marx's case, as Grove City College professor Paul Kenker, Kenker recounts in his recent book, The Devil and Karl Marx, the record is not in his favor. I like that line. As Aristotle noted, 
men start revolutionary changes for reasons connected with their per- private lives. In Mark's case, as Gro- Grove City College professor Paul Ganger recounts in his recent book, The Devil and Karl Marx, the record is not in his favor. So the idea is, yeah, why not put that person to the test? Why not see if they followed their own ideology and their own philosophy? And looking at Karl Marx's book, Communist Manifesto, you're going to compare it to Marx's own private life, and you're going to see that uh, it's lacking. It really is lacking. All right. Marx was born into an intellectual and liberal Borgia, Borgia family. I mean, the, I guess you could, not Borgia, but, you know, bourgeois, I'm sorry, bourgeois family in Tierra, Germany. Although his family ancestry was Jewish on both sides, his father, Henrik, converted to Lutheranism. It appears less for theological reasons than for social ones. Henrik was an avid reader of anti-Christian writers like Voltaire and Rousseau. Uh, Let me just say this, that his father, Henrik, who converted to Lutheranism, had a brother who converted to Catholicism. Interesting, right? Uh, how the two, two men chose completely different uh, theological. I mean, for Henrik, it was obviously for the fact that Luther was a rebel. And obviously that seemed to have influenced Marx. All right. As a student, Marx was not, an exem- was not exemplary. He also squandered his parents' money while remaining silent for months at a time even when both his mother and father were ill when carl did not write it was typically to re- uh, when carl did write it was typically to request for more funds more money in one december in 1837 a letter to carl henrik reprimands his self his selfishness writing you have caused your parents much much vexation and little or no joy. A few months later, Henrik died at the age of 56. Carl did not attend the funeral. He had other things to do, one biographer explains. Carl then returned to his mother for handout. Even after getting married in 1843, he remained dependent on his mother to finance his intellectual career. Draining his parents' savings, even so, he went nearly 20 years without visiting his mother, and when he finally did see her, it was for more money. Does he sound like a, like a real, I mean, <laughs> he's definitely not the role model of a, of a son, is he? What was he? I mean, to think about that. He's spl- sponging off his mom. The guy, even when he got married, and I know from the book, he actually sent his wife out to her relative to her relatives to ask for money. Oh well, so this is the this is the man who created the greatest philosophy to change the whole world. This is the role model. His mother declared she wished Carl would accumulate capital instead of just writing about it. Marx wrote to his wife in complaint, she does not want to hear a word about, okay, she does not want to hear a word about money, but she destroyed the IOUs that I made out to her. 
When his mother died, Carl was able to secure about $6,000 in gold and francs as inheritance. Th- uh, that notes, uh, that notes, Kanger, is a bit rich, given that point three of the Communist Manifesto calls for abolishing the right of inheritance. <laughs> I love that. He managed to secure six thousand, about six thousand dollars in gold and francs, as part of his inheritance. That notes, uh, th- th- this notes, Kanger is a bit rich, given the point three of the of the Communist Manifesto, Karl Marx's own ideology, his own rules for the for for uh, socialism, calls for abolishing the right of inheritance. Well, he obviously made an exception for himself. The Marx family sentiments regarding their son's pro, uh, profligate tendencies was shared by his wife, Jenny von West, Westvel, West Pellen. She told him, Carl, if you had only spent more time making capital instead of writing about it, we would have been better off. It's funny, his father said the same thing. If you spent more time making capital instead of complaining about it. Uh, he's, uh, you know, I guess part of being, I mean, I remember there was a thing about uh, Bernie Sanders. Bernie Sanders never held a job. Senator Bernie Sanders never held a real job. It's a matter of fact, according to his friends and uh, eyewitness accounts, uh, because he couldn't pay the electric bill, he wound up somehow stealing electricity from the next door neighbor. Real, you know, it seems it seems uh, that's that's a sign of a true Marxist sponge over off other people. Indeed, only a year after Communist Manifesto was published, Marx's landlord evicted him and his family. The landlord, Kanger tells us, was also frustrated with Carl's grooming, washing, grooming, and changing his uh, len, len, uh, his blankets are things he doesn't really, and he likes to, ki- to get drunk. Note one Parisian police report on him. Real role model. Real fantastic role model. Even sadder, Marx earned so little money that in the winter of 1849 and 1850, they were forced to take refuge in a dilapidated boarding house there, and their infant child, Henrik Ghetto, died. An eight-year-old son, Edgar, died. Uh, Wow, he lost two kids. I, I, I... Missed that part. Their infant child, Henrik Ghetto, died, and an an eight-year-old son, Edgar, died in 1855. Two kids. Wow. I I missed that part. Marx at one point admitted to Engels, "Every every day my wife says she wishes she and the children were safely in their graves, and I really cannot blame her for the humiliation, torments, and uh, alarms Alarms that one has to go through in such situations are indeed indescribable. It did not seem to dawn upon Marx that he was most to blame for their poverty and misfortune. At one point, a servant girl, Helen Dumoth, who had been a housemaid for his wife's family, was sent to help the Marx family while they were living in Brussels in 1845, Marx never paid Dumas a penny. 
He did, he did, however, initiate a long-running extramarital affair with her. Actually, uh, according to Paul Genger, it possibly could have been a rape. In, uh, in June 1851, Dumas gave birth to a baby boy, Freddie, and Marx refused to acknowledge that the child was his. Instead, Engels took responsibility for the boy. On his deathbed, Engels admitted that Freddie was indeed sired by Marx. Real, fantastic role model. Beautiful role model, this man. All right. Marx's family life was a disaster. Four of his six children died before he did. The other two, both daughters, eventually committed suicide. His poor wife, who suffered through adultery and neglect by the, by the 1860s, was expressing a desire to die. Marx once wrote to Engels, Blessed is he who has no family. Jenny died in 1881. Marx did not attend the funeral. A real, a real a role model of family man. This is the man that many people hold up. And you know what? If you look at them, they all pretty much do, make, do follow his example. Cold, insufferable, but yet at the same time, they keep talking about the poor, the disenfranchised, the neglected, the people who suffer. But the fact is, I truly believe they just, you know, Marxists and socialists just exploit the poor to gain power. Look what's happening now. Th these are not flattering details for a man responsible for one of the most popular and influential political and economic philosophies of the 20th century. Nor one might add is the fact that Marx, despite, despite being of Jewish descent, was virtually anti-Semitic. One biographer notes that his correspondence is filled with contemptuous remarks about Jews. A self-hating Jew. Fantastic. You see, this is the man. This man was an antichrist. This man, I think the book is fantastic title, The Devil and Karl Marx. <laughs> Who knows if he was involved in the cult or whatever, but the fact is he was demonic in his ideas. He was demonic in his way of life. He, he tortured his family. He neglected his wife. And then he also hated his Jewish heritage. Marx said, the worldly cult of the Jew was haggling and that the Jew's worldly God was money. Marx also spoke in a racist, condescending manner of blacks, referring to one as a gorilla. Certainly few men are truly saints, yet Marx in Kanger's estimate, was much closer to being a demon. So this is the role model. This is the role model of Black Lives Matter. This is the role model, model of Antifa. This is the role model of Bernie Sanders. This is the role model of 
uh, Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez. This is the role model of uh, Fidel Castro. This is the role model of Stalin and Lenin. This is the man. This is their Messiah, their Antichrist. This is the man that they want that they that they use, and this is the man that all these Marx Marxists. This is a matter of fact. This is the role model of uh, Barack Obama. These this is the man that everybody holds, and this is the one. Look at look at his history. Look at his family life. Look at what he's done, and look how he talks. How he spilt. He spoke about people of other, even his own Jewish race his own Jewish heritage, and then the, the people of African descent, black descent. Unbelievable. All right, so uh, hold on. Why does this matter? For people who to subscribe to certain political ideologies, especially those sweeping in scope as Marxism, they should be aware of the motivations and lives of those they aim to follow. In the case of Marx, those motivations were arrestingly selfish. His life is a case study in how to mistreat everyone close to you. This is supposed to be the person who proposed how to free the oppressive masses from their social and economic bondage. As Kanger notes, Marx knew pra uh, practically uh, Marx knew practically no members of the proletariat. That's the working class. And those he did know, he viewed with disdain, or in the case of his servant mistress, as people to be exploited. When one contrasts the life of Marx to another man in whose ideology has claimed billions of followers, the difference are dramatic. Jesus of Nazareth was a man devoted to his parents. Indeed, as he was dying on the cross, he made sure his mother would be cared for. The Gospel of John, chapter 19, verse 25 to 27. Like Marx, he was impoverished, although he still gave so much of himself that thousands of people followed wherever he went. Jesus exhibited love and compassion for the poorest, most disenfranchised people of his generation. In a word, he was everything Marx was not. If we are to consider whose life better matches his teachings, the answer is obvious. If the leaders of the world had listened more closely to Jesus and less to Marx, as Kanger soberly reminds us, there may have been as many as a hundred million fewer murders in the 20th century, given many today offer, uh, you know, you know they, they offer uh, homage to Marx and his teachings. We should pray we do not have to learn that lesson afresh. Casey Chalk is a senior contributor to the Federalist com uh, columnist for the American Conservative, Crisis Magazine, and the New Oxford Review. He has a bachelor's in history and a master's in teaching from the University of Virginia and a master's in theology from Christendom College. This is a, a great article. 
I listened to the book and I also have it on my tablet. I'm, I'm going to go through it again, again in the future. This book was very painful because the book goes definitely from Marx's earliest years, his obsession with Dr. Faust, which is about a man who makes a pact with the devil. And he wanted to write his own plays and everything. There's uh, one incident where him and Engels, I believe, both uh, disrupted a good, um, a Holy Week, possibly a Good Friday service. They were drunk. They rode into a town riding on a donkey, mocking uh, Palm Sunday, uh, crying out, Hosanna to mock the uh, the entrance of Christ into into Jerusalem um him and his wife wrote uh, would mock uh because the city that he came from there's a uh basilica or cathedral where they believe they have the um the um the one of Jesus's robes uh, a relic that the people believed and people would come for miles to pay homage to supposedly the cathedral I think or basilica was built by Helena, uh, St. Helena, uh, Constantine's mother. The, you know, Marx did not have any reverence or, belie- or, or religious beliefs. And it's the fault of his father because his father, you know, wanted to pursue a more philosophical and secular idea. Eventually, some of those, whatever those ideas have given birth, have given uh, birth to a son who was cold and indifferent and could not show any love and could not express any love. Whatever it was, Marx went, uh, what, 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 you know, was that made him what he was. Something, something happened in his early years that created such an indifferent, cold hearted monster. All right, let's go to the next article. This next article is from LifeSite News. Uh, LifeSite Life, Life News, Dorothy Cummings McLean. It's She's a blogger, and this one's from November 30th, 2020. Survivors of Soviet communism are warning the West is becoming totalitarian. Here's a manual for resisting. Rod uh, Dreher spent several years asking European survivors of Soviet communism if they thought America was drifting toward totalitarianism. They all said yes. Baton Rouge, Louisiana, November 30th, 2020. Baton Rouge is the hometown of American conservative columnist and best-selling author Rod Dreher. I live in Scotland, where the justice minister has proposed a hate crime law that could result in our persecution for remarks we make in our own homes. This is particularly alarming to me personally for the definition of hatred these days is wide ranging and some believe that string up hatreds, including stating that men who masquerade as women can be a danger to women, especially when these women identify as lesbians. I have frequently said this at home, and now I'm saying it in print. Come and get me, copper. <laughs> Dreers live not by lies, a manual for Christian dissidents. I haven't had a chance to um, 
check that book out. I have it on an Audible, so I'm hoping to check it out. All right, Live Not By Lies, a manual for Christian dissidents, is therefore of particular interest to me and unfortunately of particular interest to all of you. LifeSite News fans, this book's aim is to give us tools for retaining our small orthodox faith in God, our orthodox faith in God, preventing our children from becoming woke, totalitarians, and ultimately defeating the culture of lies currently gathering speed in the West. It is, if you like, a companion volume to Dreer's The Benedict Option, which aims at the same thing. Live Not by Lies develops Dreer's ideas of presenting us with heroic and successful models of Christian resistance to another culture of lies, the the Moscow-based communist regime that ruled Eastern and most of the Central Europe from 1945 to 1989. Dreer traveled throughout the area interviewing Christians of different confessions who actively resisted the the Marxist regime in Russia, Poland, Czechoslovakia, and Romania. Pointedly, Dreer's, Dreer's reveals in his book that the Christian resistors who survived the era did not believe the Iron Curtain would fall during their lifetime. Their goal was was to survive communist totalitarianism, but to be faithful to God and his truth. Dreer's project was sparked by a phone call from an eminent American physician whose Czechoslovak uh, so like an immigrant mother had warned him that the same circumstances that ushered in the communist totalitarianism had begun to appear in the U.S. The exact event that triggered this warning was the mob hysteria around the refusal of, of a pizzeria in a small town, Indiana, to cater to same-sex wedding. It wasn't just the mob's call to burn the pizzeria down, but the fact that the so-called liberal elite, including the mainstream media, normally so watchful against the danger of mobs threatening the lives and livelihoods of minorities, was unconcerned. Dubious about, dubious but curious, Dreer spent the next few years asking European survivors of communism if they thought America was drifting toward totalitarianism. They all said yes. What anniversary, well, I mean, so what unnerves those who lived under Soviet communism is a similarity. Elites and elite institutions are abandoning old-fashioned liberalism based on defending the rights of, in, of the individual and replacing it with a progressive, a progressive creed that regards justice in terms of groups, uh, Dreer writes. It encourages people to identify with groups, ethnic, sexual, and otherwise, and to think of God of good and evil as a matter of power dynamics among the groups. A utopian vision drives these progressives, one that compels the compel, compels them to seek to rewrite history and reinvent language to reflect their ideas of social justice. The main difference between the defunct Soviet regime and the growing empire of woke 
is that whereas the former featured the hard, uh, the hard totalitarianism of physical violence, the latter employs the soft totalitarianism of the so-called social justice ideology, cancel culture, surveillance, technology, beyond the, com- uh, the, the, the commissars, wildest dreams, and permissive consumerism. Dreher uses a literary metaphor to illustrate. Half of Europe lived out George Orwell's 1984. Now the West is looking increasingly like Aldous uh, Aldous Huxley's Brave New World. Dreher devotes the first part of his book to the woke revolution and how big business, especially big tech, signed onto it. Although I was already familiar with the threat big tech presents to our liberties, I appreciate how lucidly Dreers presented the evidence. If you haven't already, forb- uh, if you haven't already forbidding your children's smartphones, you will after you will after you finish reading live not by lies. You may also quit your shopping habits, turn down uh, the thermostat, and start f- fasting more often. Communism and comfort, Dreer convincingly argues, have made us weak and cowardly. Part two provides the undetailed testimony of what life, what life back in the USR, USSR and European satellites was like under hard totalitarianism. The stories of imprisonment are brutal. What was done to priests and ministers is almost beyond belief, or would be beyond belief if we hadn't read stories about state violence against martyrs under Diocletian, Henry VIII, and Mary Tudor. But these are also important lessons about radical faith in God, the friendship of small, secret communities and close-knit, carefully parented families. Dreer believes that that uncompromising devotion to Christ, small communities and loyal families will be absolutely necessary for living not by lies, in the coming malstorm. Of course, the malstorm may already be here. Between beginning and ending this review, I saw footage of a man in England being arrested by mass police officers, apparently for walking down the street while chatting with strangers. He resists by pulling away and then breaks down into mo- in most un-English wailing. Apparently, he lost his business in one of the many coronavirus lockdowns and being manhandled by London bobbies has clearly pushed him over the edge. Hearing a middle-aged Englishman scream for help as mass policemen surrounded him made my blood run cold. I have no understanding of what's going on, he cries. Well, anyone who has read Live Not By Lies could tell him, we've gone soft, soft as rotten apples, and to many people... Are many and many people are willing to give up their rights and ours to and ours too, rather than risk catching a virus that spares ninety nine point nine percent of its victims. Dreer doesn't address the pandemic in Live Not by Lies, but he has a lot to say about cowardice and what it can do to you. And what's the big, the big, uh, the big lacuna? <laughs> I, that's what he put. That's what she put down here in the article. By the way, one of the terrible ironies of reading "Live Not by Lies" during lockdown is that public worship has, in many places, been canceled 
or curtailed. Elderly people are held separate from their families and friends are not allowed to visit each other's homes. Christian worship, kin and community, Drea's proposed fortress against the lie are therefore arguably even more difficult to preserve now uh, to then they were in the 1970s Poland. If I had an issue with this book, it would be that Drea did not pen in afterward to discuss the role and unprecedented suspen- sus- uh, suspens- suspension of the civil liberties in the, we- uh, in the West might play in speeding up soft totalitarianism. And listening to a, bro- a broken man wailing in London Street, I'm not sure is going to be so soft. Wow. Okay, Rod Dreer, uh, Rod Dreer is li- uh, Live Not by Lies, a manual for Christian dissidents, New York City Sentinel, 2020, 204 pages. Well, I also, I do have the Benedict option, which I want to check out. Um, this is um, remarkable. I mean, he's right. We have become soft. We're not, you know, you know, we don't do penance. That's another thing. I think the more, I said it the other day, the more people are going to find themselves marginalized, the more they're going to look for spiritual substance, ritual, tradition that would strengthen you because, you know, we're not just, you know, yes, we are spiritual, but some of the things like Christian prayer, fasting, doing acts of penance, uh, not to show off, but to improve ourselves spiritually, to strengthen ourselves, to read the Bible daily. Maybe, in a sense, people will develop more habits of praying the rosary and practicing the liturgy of the hours. I think these are things that are very important that I think will, uh, because the more people see this society becoming more and more secular, the more you're going to realize how marginalized you are and how how insignificant you are in this secular society. People are obsessed with sex. I don't understand. I mean, just today I, I saw something, a tweet. I couldn't believe it. Ellen Page, an actress, um, has declared herself to be a transgender. Um, now her name is Elliot Page. She says, and her pronouns are he, they. Now she wants to be um, the transgender saint of transgenders. All right. This is, this is, this is what's going on. This is what's happening. And you're going to see a lot more of this in the future. And they're going to force you. They're going to force you to, to use prone, uh, different pronouns. Uh, to refer to people. <clears throat> and this is what's going to happen. This is what they want to put in the school system. This is what they want to put in the movies. This is, what's, this is what they put in the comic books, by the way. This affected comic books and comic book sales have dropped because people don't want to buy this crap. This is it. And now they're going to try to put this in the churches uh, the Chinese are rewriting the Bible, the communist Chinese. Uh, I heard it in England. They got angry because the new approved Bible they're going to use for mass called the St. Augustine, which is the English Standard Version, uh, is not politically correct. It's not inclusive enough. 
This is this is the kind of stuff, and they're gonna and we have you know we have weak bishops. You know we don't have manly men in the in in the office of bishops. Not many, at least. You know they're gonna compromise very easily, and they won't look you in the eye when they do it. They're very quick at compromising, but not very good at looking at the people they failed and straight in the eyes. Because we know, we know they didn't they don't do a good job when when it comes to victims of sexual abuse. They never look anyone in the eyes. They're too busy looking down, crying how much cash they have to pay out to the victims. <laughs> this is extremely disturbing and sad, but. There's hope. I suggest that we have to start practicing our faith more. Learn to get up a little earlier in the morning. Um, often people like Thomas More and other saints have gotten up early in the morning and to say their prayers, read their scriptures, and they fasted. This is not to show off. This is not to show off, nor is it to try to show off holiness. This is to improve, to try to go several hours without eating, to strengthen you, and to try to spend some time talking to God, both in Scripture and in prayer. Mental prayer is very important. You know, the saints, uh, St. Alfonso Liguori said, he who practices mental mental prayer uh, saves his soul from hell. That means getting into uh, practicing, uh, having discussion with God on the passage of scripture you're meditating on. We're going to talk more in the future about Lacido Divina, which is a prayerful reading. And this is something that's very important. It's They say it's having a conversation with God mental through mental prayer, through meditation and mental prayer. Uh, improves your other prayers, improves your rosary, improves your scriptural prayers, improves your uh, your uh, um, time at mass, because mental prayer is really d- diving into the the well, the well, the 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 the, the, um, the mystical well of Christ, the grace, the the sanctification, you really improve yourself. All right, I'm going to end it here and uh, we'll be back again soon. I'll try to do another Advent video. Oh, I'm sorry, um, podcast. God bless.